Hi, welcome back to this teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David and uh, we're going to be looking together at some verses from James chapter 5, following on from where we were last week. Um, last week we were looking at the subject of suffering and what can we learn through suffering and what is God uh, teaching us and having us experience as we go through suffering. We saw that. So please, if you haven't already uh, tuned in, go back to our, our YouTube, our Facebook uh, page. You can listen to our podcast through Spotify or iTunes. We'd love you to, to, to go back and be refreshed by that. But today we're, we're coming to James chapter 5 verses 13 through to 18. And the subject that we're looking at today in these verses is prayer. It is prayer. And it's a specific type of prayer that we're going to read about and think about called what I'm, what I'm calling it anyway, powerful prayer. Powerful prayer, a specific type of prayer that James gives as a pattern for the churches and for us to learn about today. So first of all, we're going to ask ourselves in this section, what is powerful prayer according to James? Number two, we're going to ask in our second video, we're going to ask why is prayer powerful? Why is this called powerful prayer? Number three, we're going to look then, therefore, how do we access this power, this powerful prayer that we're looking at? And fourthly and finally, how then can we use it? How can we start to practice what it is that James is teaching? But before we get to all of that, I want to read to you uh, the verses from the Bible, uh, from James chapter 5. And, and if you're listening along at home, um, then please do. It'd be really handy if you have access to a Bible to have it open in front of you and uh, make a bit more sense, hopefully, of what I'm going to be teaching over these next few minutes. But here it is, James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what is powerful prayer from these verses? Well, uh, as you could probably detect as we went through, there is a variety of applications or scenarios where powerful prayer, according to James, can take place. First of all, he says powerful prayer is available and can take place uh, in the individual. He says, is, is anyone among you suffering? Question. Let him or her suggest to both men and women in the, in the, in the church, uh, let him pray. Prayer can be and should be done by an individual. But then he carries on. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. The scenario that James uh, depicts here is of someone who, who's probably infirm or you know, ill in some way, can't get up, can't go to church, can't go to the gathering. And so call somehow gives a message to come for the elders of the church, that those who are like the spiritual leaders of the church to come and pray over that sick person. Now, in one sense, this is something that we need to hang on to. Uh, their prayer, the prayer of the elders, you know, the, the, the pastors of the church, their prayer is no more special or different than anyone else's in the church. 
And yet they have a special role within the church. They represent the whole church. Uh, more often than not, uh, well, absolutely, uh, uh, every, every elder should be a leader in spiritual maturity. They're supposed to be men of, of faith, men of prayer. And, and so why wouldn't you want to call them to come and pray over you, to sort of represent the church and, and to come with that sort of spiritual uh, authority and, and ministry? And so that James is saying, don't just pray on your own, but you can do that, but, but, but call the elders to pray for you too. And then he goes on to say, um, you know, the, the elders will come and, and, and pray over the sick person and they'll anoint him with oil. And this is perhaps a slightly unusual practice. You don't get it that often in, in, in churches, depending on their background and their tradition. Some churches do this. Um, what's going on? Why, why should the elders include the anointing of the sick person with oil? Oil. Well, well, James sort of leaves us guessing. There's no further clue in the text as to what exactly the anointing achieves or what it's supposed to do. Um, we, we saw that when Jesus sent out some disciples to go and, and preach and heal people, he said also anoint them with oil. It's just obviously seemed to be part and parcel of the healing, praying, anointing ministry of, of, of the church. Uh, and so... We're not entirely sure what James uh, you know, thought of when, when, when it came to uh, anointing with oil. Uh, some people think that there's a sort of a symbolic property. Um, whenever people were anointed with oil in the Old Testament, be that the, you know, most often the kings or leaders of the people of Israel, they were anointed with oil. And symbolically what was happening was they were being set aside. They were being marked out as special to God. And so possibly when it comes to anointing the sick with oil, we're saying this person is particularly special. We're, we're bringing them up to your attention. Uh, we want to mark them aside. Sometimes it was for the benefit, you know, anointing with oils for the benefit of the person being anointed. You know, sometimes when Jesus healed, uh, for example, the, the, the blind man, he, he, he made some mud um, and put it on the blind man's eyes and then said, right, go and wash. And then he came back. And he said he was seeing. Likewise, Jesus um, you know, healed the deaf man by putting his fingers in his ears and, and, and such like. And, and so sometimes it was for the benefit of the person being healed. So we're not entirely sure. But either way, powerful prayer includes elder-led prayer. Elders coming to the sick person, anointing them with oil. But it's not just the individual. It's not just the elders. Powerful prayer involves everybody, the whole church. Look down at verse uh, 16, it says, therefore, uh, pray for one another. Pray for one another. You see, everybody in the church, whether it's the sick individual, whether it's the, 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 the one who's calling the elders, the entire congregation, everybody in the community of faith has a role in praying powerful prayers, praying for specifically the healing of the sick. And it's important, isn't it, that as Foundation Church, um, we, we create a, a, a culture, we, we, we are uh, a people who pray, a culture of prayer. But do you notice this one thing that comes up in verse 16? He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let's see, James is making this connection between confessing our sins and, and healing. Or in other words, he puts it in verse 15, the prayer of faith, he says, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. There it is again, prayer for healing, being raised up 
and having your sins forgiven. And in, in, in James's thinking here, all these things come together. Prayer for healing, prayer for forgiveness, prayer for restoration. The kind of prayer that we're talking about here, that James is focusing on here, this, this powerful prayer is the kind of prayer that affects the physical and the spiritual. Um, and, and it's impossible in these verses to, to tease them out. This is prayer for healing for physical things, and this is prayer for, for healing for spiritual things. It's impossible to tease them out. But James is saying, this is available today. He's saying, you can do this as an individual. You can do this in your churches. This kind of powerful prayer for healing, for soul and, and, and body is, is, is ordinary, according to James. It is expected, is what we should be doing all the time. This is not a, something we save up for really bad circumstances. This seems to be, according to these verses, part and parcel of our ordinary church practice. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that inspiring? Isn't that unusual? See, the human being is both body and soul, or to use the old words, it is flesh and spirit. But you see, as modern contemporary people, especially in the 21st century West, we tend to separate those two spheres completely. We see people as either physical or we see them either as spiritual. My background in medicine has led me to this exact conclusion. I have had the, the privilege and the joy of being trained in, in cutting edge, uh, 21st century medicine with all the technology and the science and the learning and the discoveries that have gone into uh, the, the wonderful gift that we currently have, which is our modern medicine. But time after time after time, it is revealed to me and, and demonstrated that in medicine, with all of our experience and expertise, we focus on the physical, we focus on the flesh, to use the biblical terminology. And we do a great job. And we've got wonderful medicines and great surgeries and fantastic techniques. Great for the body. But the soul, the, the spirit, the, the core, the inner person is, is almost entirely forgotten or neglected. But you see, the flip side is often also true in our churches. Depending on the kind of tradition or type of church that you come from, not so much concerned about the flesh, the body, but very concerned about the soul, about the spirit, about winning souls. And I'm not saying that either of those things is bad. It's not bad for medicine to be completely focused on the body. It's not bad for churches to be focused on the, on the soul. But what I am saying and what James points us to here in this text, and, and it's really carried out throughout the whole Bible, is that the human being is body and soul. It, it is both and. It is much more of a holistic or a nuanced view of what makes a human being in the Bible than we currently have in our, in our own 21st century cultural understanding. And according to the Bible, a disease in one of those realms, or disorder in one of those realms, will have an effect elsewhere in other parts of our body. This is absolutely uh, stands to reason. We see it all the time. For example, if you or someone you know is diagnosed with depression, you will know from experience that depression isn't 
uh, let's just say, merely or only simply uh, a feeling that you have. It's not that. It is a complicated thing, it's complex, and it has physical manifestations, doesn't it? In terms of your sleep pattern and your, your appetite and, 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 and other, your, your, your energy levels and what you can do. It has physical manifestations. Likewise, let's say a disorder in the spiritual realm, you know, relationship with God, whether it's our anger towards God or hostility towards God or whatever it happens to be, uh, 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 you know, dysfunction in that sphere, if you like, of life can lead to destructive physical symptoms, uh, behaviors, relational dysfunction with one another. It's complex. It's complicated. We can't separate one from the other and pretend that that, that isn't all part of the same person. It very much is. And what James is saying here is that, that sin is not only confined to the spiritual realm, it has physical consequences. And James is saying to us here in this text that God wants to address both now. He wants to address the physical and the spiritual now, the body and the soul now. And he has given us this wonderful tool of powerful prayer to do just that. I wonder how you feel as you listen to these concepts, perhaps for the first time. Maybe this is not new to you. What if you feel nervous about where this talk is going, where James is taking us? What sort of journey are we going to go on here as a church? Maybe you feel excited, stirred. Wow, this is really something that we could be doing. Maybe you start to feel hopeful for your own suffering or your own struggles or trials or whatever they may be, that there is actually hope, there is a, there is a chance, there is something that God might want to do. Doesn't it make the good news of Jesus even more brilliant? The good news of Jesus is that Jesus saves. That's what uh, God saves. Uh, that's what Jesus means. God saves. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus himself, who is God, saves. He wonderfully and brilliantly saves us through his body, through his life and death and resurrection and ascension and all the rest of it. And when we trust in him, we are saved from the consequences of our sins. We go, when we trust in Jesus, we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. We go from being enemies of God to being friends with God. But what we're starting to see here and what, 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 what the, the, the wider scriptures teach us is that the good news of Jesus has far-reaching consequences. Yes, it involves the soul, it involves the spirit, but it has a physical realm. The saving work of Jesus uh, um, is applied to our physical bodies, not just our souls. Jesus saved us, the whole us, the whole person. We see that Jesus died in his body. He, he rose from the grave in his body, in that same body. Remember when Jesus appeared to some of his disciples, he said, look at my hands, look at my side. You know, come and check me out, come and see that I am the one who suffered, but yet this is a real physical body. And then he ascended in that body to the right hand of God the Father. And of course, as you go forward in the Bible and you, and you look forward to the, the, the final book, the book of Revelation, it says that the salvation eventually looks like the complete restoration of body and soul of each person 
It says that God will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. This is guaranteed in the future at the second coming of Jesus. We saw this last week, you know, the second rain, the early rain, the late rain, the early rain, the late. Look back and uh, listen again and, and, and you'll, you'll be able to catch up with what we're talking about. But James is saying here in this text that there are occasions when this healing, this future guaranteed complete total healing of Jesus through the gospel, that healing can be seen now. It can break through now. The, the, the kingdom of Jesus that will come in all of its fullness one day in the future is, is breaking in now. And we'll start to see signs of his kingdom coming now. And James is saying, that is available for us. You can pray for it. That is available for us. So what is powerful prayer? So now we're going to be looking at why is that prayer powerful? What makes it powerful? Well, we can see three things um, in the text that show us why prayer is powerful. This prayer is powerful. Uh, it's powerful because it is in the name of the Lord, because it's done in, in the power of the Lord, and it's powerful because of the character of the Lord. So first of all, the name of the Lord. Look in verse 14. When the elders come and pray and anoint uh, the sick with oil, they will pray in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It's not a superstitious thing. It's not just some sort of tack on or, or sort of stamp you know, that you put on a spiritual password. If you say, in the name of the Lord, then it's done. That's not what it is. But when Christians pray in the name of the Lord, and they say that, uh, they're, they're saying that this prayer is given, is offered up, is said in the name, in the person. It is said through the Lord, through Jesus. That's the Lord Jesus. Um, in other words, it's an acknowledgement of his authority an acknowledgement of his will, an acknowledgement of his power. You know, um, we, we could try and pray in our own name, in the name of David or Pastor so-and-so or some saint of old. But those things lack power. There, there's no power in me or any other you know, person in history, good or bad. There's no power in them. But there is power in the name of Jesus in fact, uh, moments before he, he left his disciples at the end of Matthew 28, um, the, the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was about to ascend and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So what we're saying here is that prayer in the name of the Lord is prayer that is underpinned by that authority, that level of authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and we're saying in his name. We're praying this in his name with his authority in the name of the Lord. That is why prayer is powerful. But secondly, prayer is powerful because the power comes from the Lord, from God. And James points us to this Old Testament giant, this prophet called Elijah, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently passionately, you know, that uh, it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on all the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. 
You know, James is saying this, 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 this guy, Elijah, this prophet Elijah, was a man, he was a human being just like us. He had the same nature. He wasn't like a superhuman or anything different. He didn't have a, you know, extra chromosomal arrangement or extra strand of DNA or anything like that. He was just the same as us, same as us. Yes, he did remarkable things in his prophetic career. Amazing. You can read about them in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings. Um, but he, just like us, he was a sinful, messed up, dysfunctional human being. But the point that James is bringing us to is that Elijah, man of faith, prayed and the heavens closed up. There was no rain for three and a half years. And then after that time, God said, pray. And he prayed again and the heavens were opened and, and the rain came. Was there anything special about Elijah? In this case, according to James, no. He was just like us. Yes, Elijah, of course, was supremely gifted. He was gifted in the prophetic. Um, he had a, a, an, a, an endowment, a power from the Holy Spirit, that, that, you know, the likes of which have, have, uh, have never been seen, certainly this side of, before Jesus came along. But... It's not that Elijah used special words in his prayer or a special prayer language that none of us will ever learn or, or they had a really long, quiet time with the Lord that morning and therefore God answered his prayer. No, that's not the point. The point that James is driving at here and the reason why our prayers have power is because the power did not come from Elijah. It did not come from Elijah. The point is, that God listened to Elijah's prayer and granted that prayer. The point is that the power was all in God and from God. That's why our prayers are powerful. It's not us, it's not our rituals, not the right words. It's God. He's the one who shut the heavens. He's the one who opened them three and a half years later to bring rain back on the land. You see, the effect is when we understand this and we see that it's God that has the power in our prayer and not us, uh, it, does, it does two things. Firstly, it, it, it drives us towards using prayer, to, 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 to using the gift of prayer, to anticipating powerful prayer. When we realize the words uh, are not primarily important, it's not how clever we are, how long-winded we are in our prayers, but the power is in God that drives us to use prayer to receive this gift the tool if you like and to use it but the second impact or the second effect that will have on us is that it will free us from the anxiety and the crushing pressure to get the words just right in the right order to sound good to invoke the right phrases so that God will listen to us and, and do it no the power is not primarily in us or our cleverness, or anything that we've done, the power of our prayers is in God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, not you. He is the one who flung stars into space, not you. He is the one who has vast and infinite power and majesty, and it is him that listens to your prayer, and him that gives you the ability to pray powerful prayers. But look, listen, this is the key thing. The power is in God, but he is pleased to exercise that power at the request of his people. God is pleased to exercise the powers of heaven at the request of his people. 
like you and like me and like our church. Isn't that amazing? So it's in the name of the Lord, the power of the Lord, and prayer is thirdly powerful because of the character of the Lord. And we've, we've covered so much of this already uh, throughout our whole series, um, starting from the, the beginning of James. Please do jump onto our podcast and catch up and you can, you can get a glimpse of what we're looking at here. But just let me um, just uh, give you a quick overview. We have seen so far, uh, even last week, we have seen the character of God. Remember this Greek word we looked at, poly, splanknos, much deep gut level affection. This is the the compassion that God has for his children. The mercy of God, this boundless mercy of God, this is what he has for his children. This is the God that we are praying to. Likewise, we saw way back at the beginning of our our, um, study in the book of James, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God, who is the father of lights. Everything good comes from from God. He just exposes his heart towards us, his lovingness, his loving kindness. He's a loving father. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him. So just just remember that for a second. We are not praying to a miserly Scrooge, a cold and unforgiving God, someone who is a disinterested father or an absent father. You may have had a father like that, but that is nothing like what God is to you. He's the father of lights, it says. The heaven's complete resources are at his disposal of course and he is prepared to give them to you because of his love for you because of his compassion towards you his mercy towards you just imagine for a second how our prayers will be stimulated by a firm grasp of God's character for you so why is prayer powerful why is there such a thing as powerful prayer because of the name of the lord the power of the lord and the character of the lord so let me challenge you as you listen to this why don't you go ahead and give it a go why don't you go ahead and draw on the promises the learnings that we have taken so far from the book of james and start to use them start to allow them to challenge your prayer life your expectations maybe you've become disappointed with prayer maybe you've given up maybe you've never even tried asking for healing or asking for miracles or asking for him to come and move in power in a certain situation may the name of the lord the power of the lord and the character of the lord refresh your thinking so far we've thought about what is powerful prayer then we considered why is it particularly powerful and so in this section here we're going to look at how we can access powerful prayer the key is in verse uh, 16 i'm going to read that together Uh, again the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working that is the the key passage in this whole uh, section the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Statement. Uh, That is how you can have powerful prayer. If you are righteous, then you will have this kind of powerful prayer to exercise kingdom power, healing of body 
and mind. You will see that in response to your prayer. And according to James, if you are righteous, then that prayer is yours. That kind of power is yours. Get that and you can pray powerful prayers. What do we mean by righteous or righteousness, by the way? Righteousness simply means somebody's, somebody's right standing before God. Um, someone who stands in a right relationship to God, who is considered by God, who looks at them and says, this person is, is, is acceptable, this person is good, this person can stand in my presence, my favour is on them, I am pleased with them. That's what it, these kind of ideas sums up what it means to be righteous before God. But here's the question, if we have to be acceptable and righteous before God in order to pray powerful prayers, how can James be so confident that people can be righteous enough with God to be able to pray powerful prayers? How can you and I be righteous and therefore start to pray powerful prayers? How can we be sure that we are right with God in order for him to listen to our prayers and do something about them? Because to complicate things a little more, another Bible writer, the Apostle Paul, writes in his letter to the Romans, he says, no one is righteous. No, not one. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if James is saying we have to be righteous in order to pray powerful prayers, and Paul is saying no one is righteous, no, not one, who then can pray powerful prayers? Well, James earlier reminds us of this great truth of the Christian message, this great doctrine, if you like. He says in chapter 2, verse 23 of uh, his letter, James's letter, Abraham, old Abraham, the father of the people of Israel, Abraham, it says, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did that mean? He believed God where well, he believed God's promises, God's covenant promises to him that God had given to Abraham. God's stated plans about what he was going to do, the revelation of himself and his, his saving purposes. He shared that with Abraham and Abraham believed God. He listened to that and he took it on, on by faith. And so on the basis of that belief, on the, on the basis of his faith in God's word, it says, that was counted to Abraham as righteousness. It's important that we're clear about this. Um, it is not that Abraham himself at that moment was righteous because of anything he did, because he did some dumb stuff up until that moment. But Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him, accredited to him, uh, accorded to him, if you like. Uh, counted him as righteous. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness that God was recognizing. It was righteousness that God recognized to him, gave to him came from a, uh, another source. It wasn't Abraham's own, but God declared Abraham righteous. He declared him to be good uh, in my sight. And here's the, the good news 
of the Christian message that through faith in Jesus Christ, as presented to us in, in the gospel, God declares you and I righteous in the same way he declared Abraham righteous by believing in the message of God. Let's just allow that to sink in for a moment. That perfect standing before God, this perfect record, this, this flawless relationship before God is, is, is granted or rather is, is um, accredited to you by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you. His perfect righteousness. That's why, fast forward, James can be confident that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Because James knows that his righteousness comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from within himself. It is Jesus' righteousness given to us. It is his perfect obedience counted to us. God looks at you when you have faith in Jesus and he sees in you flawless righteousness. God delights in you. He has joy in you through your faith in Jesus Christ. That is at the heart of the Christian gospel. Isn't that amazing? And that is how we can access powerful prayer. That means for us, through faith in Jesus, prayer isn't just a hope, it's not a wish, it's not a punt, but it is a solid guarantee that in Christ, by faith, all of our prayers, all our prayers, are powerful because we are righteous in God's sight. All believers in Jesus have access to powerful prayer. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Well, we've come to the fourth and final part in our teaching uh, on the subject of powerful prayer. We've, we've already considered what is powerful prayer. We've thought about why is it powerful? Uh, and we've thought about how do we access that power? And that's through faith and trust in Jesus and God considering us righteous because James said the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So fourthly and lastly, we're going to look at how we actually use this gift. What do we practically do? It's one thing to understand the Bible's teaching and to agree with it even. Um, but the next thing we need to do every time we come to, to God's word is we need to not only understand it with our minds, but receive it into us in a way that's going to change us and shape us uh, in our practice and in, in, in what we do. You know, when you start to understand these verses <coughs> that James gives us, I don't know about you, but it starts to grow my faith even more, my, my expectation and my, my enthusiasm for praying. Uh, uh, we, we say around Foundation Church quite often that we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. And when a group of people uh, like that, around the good news of Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit, on mission uh, to make much of Jesus in our, in our place, in our world, when we are filled with faith, uh, and we start to be stirred by this, we will start to see powerful prayer in action. And folks, now is not the time, of course, for us to be 
timid in our application of Scripture. It's not the time for us to be overly conservative in our application of Scripture here. We are to uh, just take at face value what James is teaching, and it's his expectation that this should be part and parcel of the ordinary practice of the church. Pray specifically for healing, for restoration. Of course, there are many reasons why you and I and other churches, for, for example, won't pray for healing. They don't pray big, bold, faith-filled prayers. They, they, they may not even genuinely pray in times of suffering, sincerely pray in times of suffering. And I think one of the main reasons why you or I may not pray, may not pray these big, bold, faith-filled prayers is because we are nervous that God won't come through, that, that he won't answer our prayer that we will be left ashamed, feeling stupid, that we will worry that God will not work and we'll just be disappointed. And all the things that we started to believe about God turned out to be false. That's what we are worried about. Sometimes we think uh, we don't pray because um, of pride. We think we're okay on our own steam. We'll just push through this. We'll, we'll get uh, relief from our suffering in some other way. Maybe there's other reasons why we don't pray these sort of powerful prayers. But once we start to see who we are because of Jesus and who God has revealed himself to be, his heart, his mercy, his compassion towards his children, then all of our fears start to lift bit by bit and we start to just be filled with faith again for, for the clear teaching of Scripture. So how practically then as, as a church as a community of people, are we going to uh, enact and use powerful prayer? Well, I, I said at the start, towards the beginning, um, that we want Foundation Church, and it started already, but we want to just grow in this culture of prayer, in this bold, faith-filled, expectant prayer that God can and does want to work, um, work out his salvation through healing of the body and healing of the soul, in our experience, in our day, substantially, as, as, a, as a reflection of what he will do in the future, as part of that breaking into our current experience as a church. And so we want to boldly be asking God, uh, unreservedly, God heal, God come and save, God restore this person, that situation, this suffering, my issues. Bold and expectant. Pray for one another, it says in verse 16, and confess your sins to one another. We, we do this regularly. We do this every time we gather as a church. We wind in confession of sin, partly because of what James says here. But also it goes on beyond that, doesn't it? Prayer and, and confession come together. And James is saying, pray for one another and confess your sins to one another. Maybe we need to take it a step further in our relationships. Maybe we need to uh, just be open and accountable to one or two people and confess certain sins, pray that you might receive healing in a certain area, uh, restoration in a certain area of your life. Maybe that's a challenge for, for you if you're listening today. But interestingly, I want to just draw your attention briefly to this phrase that James uses in verse 15. He says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It seems to be that James here is talking about a, a certain prayer, uh, the prayer of faith 
that will save, guaranteed, definitely will save the one who is sick and will, uh, you know, the one who has committed sins will be forgiven. What is this prayer of faith that James is talking about? This prayer of faith. You know, uh, in my experience, once or twice, um, just taking my own experience as an example, God has at points, at certain times, imparted uh, such a, a solid uh, sense. I, all I can describe it as is a deep conviction. That not just that God wants to heal, but he is going to do it. And he's going to do it at a certain point or even right now. A sort of a deep conviction, a settled sense that God actually is going to do this right now. It's almost to the level of certainty. And, and this has been during praying for healing for a specific issue or problem. And I, you know, by the grace of God, have seen that person being healed from that particular disease or that particular problem. It has actually worked. This prayer of faith, you see, is, is a sort of almost an impartation during prayer, during faith-filled prayer, that God will heal. He will save. And as I say, it's not an ordinary thing. Maybe you have had this uh, yourself and maybe you experience it a lot more than I do. There's many who do. But it seems to be that James is sort of creating this picture that the more we as a community are praying together, these bold, faith-filled, expectant prayers, the more that that is part of our culture and our practice as a church, uh, people will be granted from time to time in that scenario, in that culture, the, 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 uh, the prayer of faith, faith for healing, this, this sort of um, direct and solid, deep conviction that God not only can heal, but wants to and will do right now. Like I say, it doesn't happen all the time. It certainly doesn't for me. But it, it just seems to be that the more we pray, the more this becomes our heartbeat, our culture, the sort of thing that we do time and again, the more God is likely and is pleased to impart this prayer of faith, this gift, this, 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 this uh, deep conviction that God will save. And then the joy of seeing this person or that situation come under the saving work of God. Let's pray for one another. And how do we do this? Well, how, what's, what does that look like for us as a church? Well, I've already mentioned Sunday mornings, our, our sort of central gathering where we come together. It might be that you're chatting to someone over coffee at the, or at the end or just at the start and you're picking up some vibes or, you know, that person saying they've, they're struggling with a physical uh, discomfort or pain or, or um, you know, disease or whatever, or maybe a, something of a more of a psychological nature. Shouldn't it just be ordinary for us as, as, as faith-filled uh, believers in Jesus? Uh, with this gift of powerful prayer, shouldn't it just be ordinary for us to say, hey, do you mind if I pray with you just now? Can maybe a, another friend come in? Can we pray for you? Can we pray over you? Shouldn't that just be an ordinary thing? We'd love to do that more and more and see more of that taking part on a Sunday as we gather together. But it doesn't just be on Sundays in our foundation communities that, that we meet a couple of times a month in smaller groups in one another's homes. Again, a wonderful opportunity to listen um, to what's going on in others' lives and pray directly, faith-filled, bold prayers into those scenarios. Our, our monthly prayer and worship gathering, we're just seeing this take off more and more, uh, just this sort of this encouragement, this fire growing, uh, where we spend more time open, praying, 
with each other, worshiping God, this powerful combination. It's another arena um, where we are gonna use this and then practice this even more, this, this hunger and this expectation in prayer. Multiple opportunities, one-to-one, uh, structured and unstructured. It's all there, it's all there. The key is that we get to do this together because we're just simply missing out if we're not using this gift that James speaks about. So folks, can I encourage you as we draw to a close, let's listen to scripture. It is there, it is there, this ongoing expectation. Let us grab hold of the promises of God in this passage. Let us see what God can do and wants to do among us as we go out on mission to make much of Jesus in our towns and cities and across the world. Amen.